Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast, episode 55. Today, we are talking self-management tools for lower back pain. Now, of course, this is for anyone out there who is suffering from back pain. It's about how to create and uh, form a self-management protocol, a self-management program. What we're talking about is, are you looking after yourself outside of that treatment room? This is also for people who have not uh, been able to seek out therapist assistance or care from some sort of therapy. Um, uh, Even if you're not seeing anyone at the moment, this is still for you. Do not worry. There's some great hints, tips and hacks for you to look after yourself in the background. As always, any questions you've got from today's episode or generally hit us up on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. We do reply to people and we are loving getting your messages through. Episode 55, self-management for backpain. Okay, Rob, so today we're talking self-management skills for people with back pain. How did this all come about, mate? So this came about through a tweet that we saw, I think last week when I sent it to you, from David Porter, friend of the show, um, featuring your Discs Don't Slip episode, also known as Rhett's Looping, um, who who posted a tweet, tweeted a tweet, which said, at 3am when your pain comes back, you can't have needles, clicking, scraping, sticking or cupping therapy. Hopefully you'll have you'll have learned some self management skills. So this is important because he's highlighting the point that whatever a therapist does to you in a treatment room is a passive intervention, which is fantastic, and some of the brilliant pain painkillers and mm. mechanical painkillers. But those are only needed in order to to you know you have to do the work yourself outside of the treatment in order to back up those changes and make those make those changes stick. So we decided to do an episode on what self-management is and how we can encourage that in, in people who are listening in pain and how can we encourage clinicians to promote self-management in their patients. So self-management is everything that takes place outside the treatment room. So these are skills which you develop yourself or that a therapist or clinician teaches you to manage your back pain when they're not with you. Is that, is that the kind of the way I'd understand it? Yeah, absolutely perfect. I mean, look, guys, we're two manual therapists here. We are very aware of the scope that manual therapy can have and intervention can be a fantastic thing to aid you on your journey. However, that's 30 minutes in a room with a practitioner, with a therapist, they're going to help but there's still 23 and a half hours left of the day where you've got to be able to manage your pain, movement and everything else to make sure that you are healing as best as possible and feeling as best as possible. There is only so much that half an hour in the room can do that right yeah exactly and you know as, as, as exactly you said when you're waking up at 3 a.m there's not many patients there's not many therapists who are going to be there to to, to support <laughs> you it. so yeah, yeah. you know as i say to my patients my my sounds almost bad to say this but my dream is that it's not really a dream but you know my idea is that when someone wakes up and they have some pain they don't their first thought isn't a call i need to call rob it's okay rob's shown me all these things so I'm going to try all of these in order to change my pain. You know, my pain is a cry for some movement. My crane, my pain is a cry for changing position, whatever it might mm. be. See my pain as that. And then I've tested all these and I've gone through my exercises. I've gone to the gym. I've gone for a swim. I've walked around the kitchen, whatever it may be. Oh, actually, 
that has actually reduced my pain. If that's then still there 24 hours later or it's changing or it's getting worse, then I'm there and I'm always there if someone needs me. But having people have that and develop those self-management skills is so, so important. And look, we're talking here about patients who have just come back or who are also seeing a practitioner of some sort. This goes double for anyone who isn't able to see another practitioner for whatever reason. If you're not being looked after by someone for your backbone, you've got to be taking that mantle on yourself. You've got to uh, take the responsibility for that self-management. And I think also just to highlight that the the important thing here is we're not... I need to phrase this one right. Um, this is you know, the, the the job of this is on the clinician and the therapist to install this in you. So if, if people are listening and they, they aren't aware of any self-management mm. skills, this isn't your fault. You know, this is, you know, the blame here lies at the person who's educating you. And that, that is whether that's a GP, a therapist, a clinician, you know, there's too many to name <laughs> off yeah, the tip of yeah, my tongue. Yeah. But whoever it is, that, that is their job as well. Yes, everybody has responsibility, responsibility to themselves to educate themselves. Um, but with the world of pain and healthcare, there is a myriad of information out there. So that's what we're here for. We're here to separate the wheat from the chaff and, you know, come up with the strategies and educate people. So if you have any doubts, you can turn to any of the guests on our podcast. They are the the cream of the crop of all of the most evidence-based, up-to-date resources of information for back pain management. Absolutely. All right, Rob, so look, um, what kind of skills should someone be looking at for self-management? What can we teach ourselves? So the, the first thing is, is education around back pain. So when patients come in, it's educating them about what back pain actually is. Um, and that is things that kind of help helping identify what beliefs they have about back pain. You know, do they believe that something's gone out of place? Do they believe that something is weak? Do they believe that, you know, they need to have some form of passive, passive intervention to kind of, you know, correct things and then they'll, they'll be fine again? Because if they have these beliefs or if you have these beliefs coming into a treatment and someone's not meeting those needs then you're then you're going to start off on the back foot you're going to start off in a bad place believing that those needs haven't been met so understanding what your beliefs are about back pain is a really important thing and then kind of meeting them in the middle so meeting a patient to have that discussion what their beliefs are what's actually happening with their back why pain actually kind of exists what what triggers it and then that kind of then leads into the pain science conversation what is pain and an education around pain and hurt doesn't equal harm. A bit like we discussed on two weeks ago with Julia Gova on podcast. The, big, show. the biggest myth in back pain. Um, yeah, that hurt doesn't equal harm because many people don't think that pain equals damage. Mm. So when they have pain, they think that there's something gone wrong and there's a problem and I'm harming myself and I'm, it's going to make me worse when actually it's not like that. You know, pain hurts. Pain doesn't equal damage. Um, they, they don't go together. You can have severe damage with no pain and you can have no damage whatsoever and also very severe pain as well. So, you know, they, they don't go hand in hand. So pain, although it's very painful, is not always something to be to be, to be be scared of and to be terrified of. Mm. And like that, that kind of mindfulness and knowledge around pain itself brings us to our next point, which is stress reduction. Mm. Now, we were talking about this um, in the mind frame of things like mindfulness, um, uh, medication, meditation as well. Um, but also, yeah, that that knowing uh, pain does not equal harm. That that extra knowledge around your pain and how your body reacts to the pain absolutely huge. Yeah, and it's and that mindfulness meditation. You know, we spoke about apps like Headspace and Calm. I think the other mm. one is. There's lots of apps out there to help kind of reduce stress and reduce your anxiety, which we know are other things which contribute to pain. So reducing these other things which contribute to pain, which again then leads us on to the next point, which is. You know, as therapists, we should be recognizing what triggers people have for their pain. So, and I advise all my patients to do this is keep a bit of a diary, a pain diary, and recognize the triggers which you have 
that cause your back pain. So when is your back pain worse? Is this after a certain activity? Is this when you're stressed? Is this after you've been playing with the kids? Is it in the evening? Is it at work? And helping someone to recognize those triggers is a much better way to then help them come up, or is a much easier way to allow them to come up with strategies to help them. So once a patient understands these, actually it is always worse when I do this, or it is always worse when I do this, then we can then incorporate strategies to, you know, sprinkle in throughout their day that, you know, can simply then make a big difference. Okay, can you just ask your husband to help with, you know, early morning feeds or whatever it might be, or mm. a few extra nappy changes or, you know, all those type of things. Um, you know, and where where should we be putting our resources? Where should we be asking for help that's going to have the biggest bang for buck impact? Which sometimes is not always possible, but, you know, you have to do everything we possibly can. I've got to say, for when we're looking at the management around pain, I think a pain diary is the absolute easiest low-hanging fruit, but one of the best exercises you can do. Um, because sometimes you can't see the causation of your pain or the aggravation of your pain until you zoom out to a, a week-long or a couple-week-long sort of macro view. Um, whereas when we're looking at it minute by minute, you might have a pain that is not immediately felt by something. So you say, well, at the time I was sitting on the sofa, it could have been, rather than your seating position, something you did 6, 8, 12 hours earlier, and you're unable to see that pattern emerge until we've got a good few weeks of that pain diary laid out in front of us. Um, yeah, I think it's one of the easiest, uh, like I said, low-hanging fruits, something that patients can do. Anyone can do that. Sit at home, write your activities down to your food intake, um, uh, down to your stress levels. What has the stress been on your body for that day, then that week, then even that month if you're in a long-term pain situation? You'll see the macro effects of your environment and what you're doing on how you are experiencing your pain. Uh, that can be such a useful tool. I absolutely love that. Yeah, and I'm sure... Um I, don't, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's some symp symptom trackers which um, you can, you know, like an app, which oh, okay. might pop up every there hour. There must be an app must for be. it. Yes. So if anyone's listening, they've got it. They're using a good app. Let us know, and we we will share it online to mm. our to our listeners. But there must be a good app which you know they regular pop ups. I'm sure every hour that say, "Oi, you know, what, track, what, track your symptoms." What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing you now? Feeling? Track your symptoms. Yeah. You know, there's lots for mental health. I know that. So there must be some for kind of you mm. know pain and physical health as well so yeah if, if anyone not, knows there's any app developers out there we're in yeah, yeah. get us on board <laughs> <laughs> i think um, the other thing is is helping to understand some unhelpful beliefs um around back pain and we mentioned the ones about kind of the structural beliefs about things being out of place and and kind of being mm. needed to to put back in and these are other beliefs i'm talking about so things which are a bit old-fashioned things like resting over kind of activity you know often the should we say the older generation you know it's, it's very normal to you have back pain or you go to bed for two weeks you know that was That's the it. i lay know, on the floor for two weeks lay, so stay till bed rest bed rest oh, yeah. yeah and we know now that you know bed rest is one of the worst things you can do with an acute back pain is not move it you know movement mm -hmm. is, is is medicine when it comes down to, to to the early stages of back pain so getting moving is so so important so you know those type of educational tidbits can be so so important with these people who are early days in their kind of pain journey or even longer in their you know towards the more persistent kind of chronic pain end of the spectrum yeah you know understanding that movement is so so important so those encouraging those other beliefs are a big thing for me kind of in encouraging that self-management if they don't understand that activity and exercise is important then they're not going to want to move so helping them understand that is is vital of course yeah I think that leads not quite nicely onto things like lifestyle. So we, we talked about when we're looking at a um, a pain diary, we want to know just not what you're mechanically, what you're physically doing, but also what you're eating, uh, essentially any input, whether it be uh, mechanical, chemical, or emotional stress. So what you eat, what you shout at, and how you move. Um, 
this does include things like smoking. This does include uh, what kind of diet you had this evening. This does include whether you ate erratically or uh, considerably poorly, whether you chucked a load of beer down your throat or whether you had green smoothies all day. This does have an effect on your pain uh, and on how you're experiencing your pain as well. Um, so not only should we monitor it and measure it, that will then allow us to improve it and to recognize this does have an end effect on my pain. No, yeah, I know. Yeah, t totally agree. Um, and the, the other one is uh, early encouragement of returning to work and activities. Um, so we know that getting people back to work and getting people back to, you know, whatever they were doing before, their normal activities of daily life is, is really beneficial. So having that fear avoidance and avoiding things because of pain has actually shown to have negative effects further down the line. So encouraging people to get back to work and helping them understand that actually if they can go back to work, maybe there might be some adaptations, maybe that might mean doing, you know, people call it light duties or changing, you know, desk positions or, you know, taking much more regular breaks, whatever it might be, there'll be some workarounds and hopefully your therapist can kind of t talk those through with you what, what might be helpful for your particular job. Yeah. But encouraging kind of yeah th those factors as well is another big thing. So they they have that ability to go to their boss and say, you know, I'm, I'd like to come back to work, but I couldn't. Would like to come back, you know, earlier than I've been signed off for. But you know, I need X, Y, and Z to kind of help me out. And you know, I'm sure, as far as I'm aware, I've never had any bosses say no. You know, <laughs> to, yes, in terms yeah, of that. Yeah, so yeah. of course, people are going to they're going to make exceptions for if wherever possible to to allow you to to get back mm. to work. So encouraging that early back to work is another thing to really promote that kind of self-management and getting people back to it. That's it. It's that real positive physical and mental stimulus as well, you know, getting back out into the world and creating movement. Yeah, I love it. And I think the big one that, you know, whether we save this for last, I'm sure we can think of some more, is um, exercise. You know, and this is, we save this one for last maybe, but the exercise and helping people with what exercises they can do to help manage their pain is the most important thing in my book. And part of my of my treatment sessions, and I think a part of most majority of people, when whoever you go and see for back pain, their treatment sessions should be around what movements worsen your pain and what movements make the pain better. Mm. And to that might be walking. It might be marching on the spot. It might be you know doing some cobra type extensions. It might be doing some curl ups. It might be doing some slumps and whatever it might be. It's finding some repeated movements that can change your pain. Um, and I often say to people that. I think I said it earlier that movement or see pain as your body's cry for movement a bit like when you're thirsty and you're you know it's your body's cry for having a glass of water see pain as that so when you're in pain that doesn't mean don't move it means try and find something to do and that can sound really difficult when someone's in a lot of pain mm. and you know it's, it's really hard to say that when someone sat there thinking I'm in agony and you're telling me to move there's probably people listening to this right now thinking I can't move I'm in agony and that's totally understandable so that can be really small. It can be literally bringing your knees up to your chest, lying on your side. And when you've got that, you know, horrible sciatic pain, that is sometimes what I start with is lying on your side, good side up or bad side up, whatever one's more comfortable. And just doing some knee hugs one leg at a time and just getting some little movement. You might find, okay, that takes 5% of the pain away. I can do it again 20 minutes later, or that might take another 5% of the pain away. And just slowly, slowly catch your monkey. You know, it can just slowly make a bit of a change till maybe we can get you standing up or we can do some, you know, leaning against the kitchen counter, doing some marching or some leg swinging or these kind of early intervention movements that mm. can make a big, big difference in that getting people, you know, off the sofa, which is vital. That's it. It can start small as well. So look, everything you've just uh, described there is small stuff. 
a huge impact, don't get me wrong, but we're not talking going out for a run around the block. It's not about going out and bench fit, uh, bench, bench pressing, bench fitting, um, uh, bench pressing 50 pounds. It, it starts with small, precise movements. That's early movement. It doesn't have to be uh, uh, big, big things that you might be thinking if you sat at home in a lot of pain and, and able to move. You can start small. That will create bigger things down the line. An experiment. Absolutely. That's the big thing. Experiment with your pain and with your movement. There'll be some movements which which may hurt, which may hurt it, and that doesn't mean it's causing any damage. It just means we're not quite ready for those yet, or finding a different way to do it might be more beneficial. But there, are, you know, there is no in the vast vast majority of cases. I've got to maybe careful about saying this. There is no bad exercises to do. Mm. So very rarely is there or is there anything that feels good and takes away your pain that is causing you any damage. And I'm sure. I can't think of anything even off of my head, but you know, it, I think the patients where that that could be the case are not going to be walking to us. These are going to be the very rare surgical cases, you know, wow. with severe trauma and things. But the, the 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 you know, looking for things which help your pain, you know, go and seek them out. Go and try a few different movements. Try a few different positions. You know, look online for some exercises. You know, again, be careful, but look online for some exercises. Go back and listen to our most. Uh, you know, what was the episode we did with Daniel Bellavi? Um I've forgotten what number it was, but the best exercise for back pain. Yeah, go and have a listen to that 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 episode where he talked about his favourite exercises and the most evidence based exercises for back pain. And it basically comes down to movement, you know, walking, basic Pilates, basic resistance exercises. Just these gentle things can make a world of difference when it kind of when it comes to back pain. Well, can we circle back to a comment that you made offhand? But it's a fantastic um, way of changing the way that we think about when to exercise and how to exercise. You mentioned pain or uh, viewing pain a bit like when you feel thirst. Yeah. Can you talk us through that? Yeah. So this came from a book by Jared Hall, I think. Mm. I might correct me. I'll look we'll it up in a moment. <laughs> fact check that. Um, called Sticks and Stones. Um, and he there's a chapter in there called, and it's something about drink, drinking water. And his analogy for when you should be doing your exercises is akin, you could think about that in the way that you think about drinking water. So when patients ask and they say, you know, how many of these exercises should I do? You know, it's not a matter of doing three sets of 15 reps of this and that's, you know, perfect. There's no perfect formula. It's your your body, your your pain is a cry for movement in the way that you are thirsty is a cry for drinking water. So you should see exercise as I have some pain, I'm going to do some of my exercises. And Again, when you're drinking water, you don't just drink water when you're thirsty. You know you should be drinking water throughout the day. Yeah. Exercise should be the same. So it's not waiting until you're thirsty to drink water. You do it. We're not waiting until you're in too much pain until you can't do your exercises. It's sprinkling them, sprinkling them throughout the day. So it's not waiting till 8 o'clock at night and then doing all of your exercises at once in the way that you wouldn't wait till 8 o'clock at night and then drink all of your three liters of water for the day. Yeah. It's just you know drip feeding it quite literally throughout the day with your exercises. And that's kind of the approach I've had to patients. So I've reduced unless in some cases obviously in some cases it's appropriate but for a lot of these you know acute low back pains or, or chronic low back pain patients i've changed that that to doing you know we're not doing three sets of 30 or whatever it might be it's okay these are your exercises i'm not going to give you a set number we know that around 15 at the moment is changing your pain that might go up or down yeah Re, you know do some of these until you feel a decrease in your pain that might be 30 repetitions it might be five repetitions you know and then you can do it again 10 minutes later or you can do it again an hour later completely up to you and I give that ball to them in some cases in some people need a little bit more guidance mm. and I'm there but a lot of people they like that self-management and that that this is the prime example of self-management they know exactly okay I know what exercise helps me I'm in pain so I'm going to do some of these and then at nine o'clock in the morning actually I don't have much pain but I'm feeling a bit stiff I'm going to do a few of these exercises just to reduce the stiffness and, and calm it down so yeah putting the ball into their court to to have that self-management that improvement is a really big big thing for me 
I love it. That fluidity and that that sort of change in mentality behind the exercise. What, what a game changer! Oh no, exactly. What else do we have on our? Um, oh, self monitoring. That's a good one. Mm. So self monitoring is a bit like the pain diary. Um, we kind of came back to about what looking for signs of improvement. So showing people what signs they can look for that they are getting better. Mm. So as part of the pain diary, it's you know not just a how bad is my pain. It's what couldn't what can't I do? So what can't I do now? But I might be able to do in six weeks because often people come to us and I'm sure you see the same thing and they say, "How's the pain? Oh, it's still the same." And you say, "Okay, well, you know, we had to have a downstairs treatment room last time because you couldn't walk up the stairs, and now you've walked up the stairs. You know, isn't that brilliant? You know, or you can get out of the chair, you can roll over on the couch when I'm examining you, whatever it might be, hmm. and then they, you know, so getting this kind of functional uh, ability back is a vital part of, part of recovery. So what can you do now, even if the pain is still the same level?" you know, do you have more function? And helping people realize that is another big thing, another big thing where they can, you know, I think it drives self-efficacy because they go, oh, actually I can do that now. And I couldn't do that before. Or now I can, I can touch my hands to my knees, whereas before I couldn't even bend forward at all. Yeah. And that's just all a sign that we are getting better. And it's very easy to forget where we were with, mm. with back pain. So that's another thing I do like to help people realize if I can. Monitoring and then relishing those small wins. Relishing the wins, yeah. yeah. Get it, getting the win, take the win. It's, it, yeah, it's seeing the patient mid-January who's worn flip-flops to the first uh, few appointments because they can't bend down that far and seeing them walk in in laced-up trainers. Oh, there's nothing quite like it. The what joy. victory, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or not grunting when they get out the reception room chair or, mm. or not lying on the reception room floor. That's another one. Always a goodie. Always a good one. Not being carried in. If a patient be carried in by people parked up outside, lying on the back seat, carried yeah. in and lying on reception and then you see them in two weeks' time and they've, you know, Trotting up the stairs. Walked in. I know, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, or you walk down to reception and they go, I'm standing or I'm <laughs> sitting or I'm whatever it might be. And, it, and it's a really nice feeling when, when that happens. Mm. And also then not sometimes when it goes the other way. But uh, it's, it's always nice when, that, when they have that. And, and especially if you've known that they've done something to help themselves. That's what I love. Sure, yeah. Mm. Well, I think look, what we've looked at so far is a lot of all the positive side of things. But I think what needs to also be said is that identification of unhelpful beliefs. So we need to be relishing these positive moments, these wins. Uh, we need to be enforcing positive beliefs. But this is pain we're talking about here. It's not always that straightforward. It's not always linear A to B. And sometimes we can get in that negative space. Um, so it's identification. It's knowing when we are getting into those negative places, we think, I'm not going to bother moving because I'm not feeling good. I'm not going to bother eating well today. I'm not going to bother with these positive things that I can do. It's being able to identify and recognize we're in that space and move ourselves out of it. Things like the pain diary. When talking about that, Rob, you mentioned about there being apps for um, uh, for mental health as well. On that pain diary, it's worth, worthwhile writing how you're feeling about that as well. Because when we're getting consistent improvement, it's like win, win, win. Fantastic. I'm on a great day. When we do have a bad day, it can be a real downer. It can, it can, you can make you feel like you've gone right back to the beginning mentally and physically so write down on that pain diary how you feel as well it will help you to start identifying those lower periods because I bet you're not feeling as um, uh, capable or as um, uh, as happy to go out and do movement as when you're having a great day where it's win-win-win yep and that understanding that yes as you said pain isn't linear mm. you know you'll have good days and bad days. Everyone will do, you know, and having a bad day doesn't mean you've gone back to square one. You might've just done something different. You might've changed it. It's very normal to have good days and bad days. So having that early understanding of that, so you're not, you know, on 
day 10, gone, oh no, my pain's severe again. Mm. Thinking that means it's gone right back to square one and, you know, we're going downhill. Actually, that is quite normal. And having a bad day here and there is a normal aspect of recovery. You know, it's that there's a really good graph, isn't there, of, you know, pain isn't a linear line. It's basically just a maze of squiggles, of squiggles up and down, yes. up and down. <laughs> yeah. You'll get good days, bad days, awful days, awful mm. bad weeks, you know, days, months. So it's it's very, very up and down. So that that is good. And that comes back to almost kind of like reassurance. So what, how, you know, reassuring patients that back pain is common. It is very normal. Most people have back pain. You know, 80% of people will have back pain at some point in their lives um, to, to some extent. Doesn't mean it has to be serious, but most people will have some matter of back pain. And the ver- the overwhelming vast majority of this will be better in a matter of weeks. Yeah. And that, that that is it. And if, you know, there's a lot of unhelpful beliefs around back pain being, you know, once you've got back pain, it's there for life. Or my dad had sciatica and he never got rid of it. And, it's, and it was always there. And so that reassurance, I think, is a vital part. And if someone can help to understand that actually this is common and normal, they're much more likely to do some exercises and do some movement and do some, you know, and it might, you know, potentially having some pain might send them into a bit of a downward spiral. So mm. bringing them out of that is, is so, so important to, to promote this self-efficacy and this kind of self-management type management of, of lower back pain. Yeah, amazing. Perfect. I think that's all, all I had on my, on my list for kind of improving improving self-management for for back pain i don't know if you had anything else to add to that one no absolutely perfect Rob. sounds good to me um so if you're if you're listening to this as a therapist um we need to be making sure that we are giving self-management tips tools tricks whatever you want to call it hacks if you're a millennial um skills so that your patients are <clears throat> safe protected happy uh, and prospering in those other 23 and a half hours of their days um, that's that's basic needs for all therapists out there. I'd say. I think since seeing that tweet, I'll you know, I think I, I like to think I was, I was good at it anyway. But I like to think when that patient sat in front of you and they feel better, mm. you have to ask yourself basically that tweet. So when you ask yourself, you know, when Mrs. Smith in front of me wakes up at three a.m. and she's in agony, what what has she got? What what have I given her to help herself? Yeah. What what tools have I filled up her toolbox with? to help manage her own pain. Um, and I think, think of it in those terms. Absolutely. Um, so what about all for the, the patients out there? Should we be pushing our therapist? Are we saying, come on, g- give me some tools. Give me what I need. Yeah, I, th- I think a, a question which you can ask your therapist is, okay, what can I do to help myself? Mm. Um, and I think that is a really good question, which, you know, everybody should be asking. Um, and obviously you might not be able to ask this, but there should always be a place where you can ask questions to your, to your therapist, your GP. What can I do to help myself? And that should tick most of those boxes. Um, like what, Cause you know, that'll go back to exercises. That'll go back to movement. That'll go back to medication. That'll go back to, there's lots of kind of avenues to that. So asking for things which you can do to help yourself, I think is going to be the best way to, to, to draw that out. If it's not, if someone's not that forthcoming about that, what can I do to help myself? absolutely and look for anyone who's out there who's has not been able to seek out um uh assistance or has not been able to seek out um uh a professional of some sort um i think i mean obviously look the, the best thing that we can suggest listen to the back pain podcast yeah we have episodes on all of these factors from education from management from exercises to beliefs to pain education so we cover all of these topics that we've spoken about in great detail in many many of our 55 54 previous episodes goodness gracious so much content out there for people to listen to and now is also the key moment to mention our new website 
Absolutely. So if you are in pain and you are looking for a therapist to help you, someone who is approved by us, who has been screened by us to make sure that you are getting the most evidence-based, up-to-date, quality, you know, education, understanding around back pain, our list is where you can find them. So head on over to www.thebackpainpodcast.com and search for the provider map and you will see in there a map and you can pop in your postcode, your address, your town, your city, and you'll come up with a list of people local to you, as we said, who have been vetted by us to ensure you get the absolute best care. In fact, uh, a lot of those will have already been on the podcast. You might recognize some names and or faces. Um, so imagine that being treated by <clears throat> someone you've already listened to. Yeah, that's a, problem a celebrity, you might say, Rob. I, I might say, I might say a, a well-known back pain celebrity. And if you're a clinician listening to this and would like to be considered to be listed on our on, on our provider's map, drop us an email, get in contact, and we will send you the application. Amazing. Uh, Rob, where can people find us? They can find us on all of the social medias, including TikTok, at The Back Pain Podcast, or on Twitter, at The Back Pain Pod, underscore, on Twitter. But yeah, on Instagram, at The Back Pain Podcast, on Facebook, at The Back Pain Podcast, and TikTok, at The Back Pain Podcast. Rob, what if I'm at home with back pain and I've got a burning question that I want answered in a podcast format? What should I do? Um, tweet us. DM us, I think is the Instagram, uh, oh. Instagram, yeah, DM the little paper airplane. Mm. DM us um, on Instagram um, or send us an email, hello at the Back Pain Podcast, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, now, it's worthwhile mentioning we do have a Facebook support group for those people with back pain and sciatica. What's it called, Rob? It is the sciatica and back pain support group. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, there are some questions to answer if you want to join. However, uh, it's a fantastic community of like-minded people who are going through probably the same thing as you if you're listening to this. Um, click on that link. Join the group. Absolutely fantastic people in there. Some great advice uh, and a really nice forum for anyone who wants to discuss what is going on with yep. them. Lots of exercises, therapist recommendations, you, know, you name it, it's all in there. So head on over there if you feel like, if you'd like to check it out. Amazing. Rob, thanks so much. No worries. Peace out, Dave. Bye.